Hello and welcome to a special festive Christmas special episode of Stowe Talks, our podcast which is designed to support people going through a relationship breakdown and all the challenges this brings. For those of you lucky enough to be watching on YouTube, you can see that uh, we are decked out in Christmas jumpers especially for this. Uh, I'm Matthew Taylor. And I'm Lisa Gatchell, family lawyers at Stowe Family Law. And today, as Matt said, we're talking about Christmas. So when we recorded this, Matt, it's 12 weeks till Christmas. Are you excited? Uh, no, that, that <laughs> terrified. terrified. Now, I know that Christmas <laughs> is sort of coming because my children have started talking extensively about their uh, Father Christmas lists, uh, to which my response is, come back to me in, well, it depends how charitable I want to be. It cuts sometimes October, sometimes November, sometimes December. Um, I, I assume hysteria in your house is building in the same way. Yeah, we had the Smith's toy catalogue come through the door this week, so they've started circling things. <laughs> we haven't had that yet, but I did get to a school drop the other day and one of the mum friends said, oh, the Father Christmas catalogue arrived in the post yesterday. So it, it's going to hit soon. Yeah. So what do you think of, what, as family lawyers, aside from all the great stuff about Christmas, you know, and what you enjoy, Christmas isn't always a positive thing, I think, for separating couples. So what's the first things that you think of in the sort of professional aspect through your job when we think about Christmas? I think Christmas is really, really tough time of year for separated couples because it is portrayed and it, well, it is a family, a family day. Everybody gets together and you are likely to have created traditions within your family, particularly with your children um, that will have been going on throughout your relationship. And all of this is going to have to be reviewed as to how it's going to work now you're separated. And I think people can get really, really hung up, particularly on the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And I do try to say to clients, I mean, so my dad was in the forces and he was away one Christmas when I was younger. And my mum did Christmas in March when he came back and she put the Christmas tree up outside. She put all the decorations up. Oh, great. We had turkey presents, the whole lot. And, and as a child, it made absolutely no difference to me whether that happened in March or on the 25th. And I bet that's one of your, that must have been one of your most memorable Christmases. Yeah. yeah I think brilliant. the neighbours must have thought she was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people get upset if you start putting Christmas decorations up in November, let alone March. Um, but yeah, so I think people can get very hung up on the dates. And obviously there are, in circumstances, religious reasons why, you know, to celebrate Christmas on the 25th of December may be particularly important in your family. But it can be celebrated and it can work really well on other days so it's about working out how that's going to work for you and I think people come to us often with an expectation of how Christmas will work and there is no one fit answer I mean I'm sure we could both go through various different ways that our clients have managed yeah. to make Christmas work and they would be completely different yeah and there's all sorts of things if you get on well with your ex-partner people do Christmas together which is like a terrific achievement if you can get to that stage I think that's probably the minority um if you can use it, I think what, what you said there is a really great example of establishing new traditions. Like so much of what we do in family law, I think, is people wanting to maintain certainty and comfort and familiarity. And that is completely understandable. And you've got such a tradition laid in time of the year. You want to carry on those traditions as much as you can. But sometimes there's a real freedom and there's a real um, just a real creativity and a real benefit to children in establishing new traditions. And also, if you speak to most children, would you like to have one Christmas day or two Christmas days? I think we know what they're going to say. Um, so there's a way of going about it. But still that waking up, I won't 
pretend that waking up on Christmas morning, like as a dad with two young boys, like the Christmas morning thing is really special, especially for younger kids. And you've got the magic and, you know, they're excited to see what Father Christmas has brought. That is really special. So I think it's really common, especially around this time of year, that we start to have disputes where parties can't agree Christmas. So, you know, what are the main ways that you try and resolve issues over Christmas? And, you know, what, you know, hopefully it doesn't come to that. We could talk about court in a minute. But if it was to come to the court, you know, what's the general kind of approach do you think that works best for Christmas? I think it comes down to, you know, we say this a lot, communication, communication, communication. It's about having that open communication with your ex-partner, setting the expectations. If you can do that, sitting down together, great. If you're not in a position, you're not in a place where that works for you at the moment, then it may be that you instruct a solicitor and you try and negotiate that through solicitor's correspondence. Um, Or alternatively, a referral to mediation. This is a great topic to discuss at mediation. So you can sit down with somebody who's independent, who can help you sort of pick through um, what it is that you both want to achieve from this, which is often that you both just want to have a lovely Christmas time with the children. Um, mm-hmm. And it's working out how that's how that's going to work. But definitely it's, it's opening it's opening the communication and, and speaking. And if you come into it with a absolute, well, I'm having Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and there's no getting around that, um, you're going to put yourself in a really difficult position and things could get really, really stressful for you. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think you're right. This is the absolute best thing to take to mediation. I think, you know, mediation is brilliant for all sorts of things, but these sort of specific issues and perhaps we can talk wider about specific issues in, in, in a second but are really great discrete aspects to talk about in mediation if you can't sort things out outside of court you can you can apply to court you can apply for what's called a specific issue order if you don't already have an order that deals with christmas because you can deal with christmas birthdays all these specific kind of special days as we sort of call them as a, an overarching label as part of a ch- child arrangements order and i think there are basically two main approaches that the courts take either. And what we need to remember, and, you know, for anyone who listens to a lot of these podcasts, you'll get sick of hearing us say this, is that it's for, you know, it's from the children's perspective, what is for the benefit of the children. So it's not for the benefit of the adults, what's best for the children. And the court will generally say, well, either the kids have Christmas Eve and Christmas morning with one parent, and then there is some sort of handover one o'clock-ish, you know, in the middle of the day, and they spend the rest of Christmas Day and Boxing Day with the other parent, and then it swaps each year. Or you spend the entirety of Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, the period with one parent one year and with the other parent the other year. And I think that's, unless there is a specific reason why one party can't be available, you know, you've got particular family reasons. I think that's generally the approach, isn't it, Lisa? And that's kind of the, the sort of the two standard approaches. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we just said a minute ago, if you, if you can't reach an agreement, you know, potentially looking at court proceedings. I don't know about you, Matt, because obviously we cover different air, different parts of the country. Um, mm. We've just said there's 12 weeks to go till Christmas. Would you be able to get the court to make a determination on this before Christmas this year? Uh, I think I probably would be able to. So I'm up in the northwest. I'm Liverpool based. Um, and I think I could probably get something in court now. Um, but we're running up against it already with 29th of September at the moment. If you do the, you know, my heart sort of slightly sinks when I get the emails two weeks before Christmas saying we can't agree Christmas, I want to go to court because it's just so incredibly unlikely that the court's going to be able to sort it out in time. Um, so yeah, I, I don't imagine you're going to be able to get much in before court because your listing's down the south is a lot harsher than ours I think 
Yeah, I mean, it would be really tight now. And obviously, by the time this this episode is going to be released, we're probably going to be at the end of November. Yeah. By which point, actually, you know, it is a case of you, you've got you've you've got no other choice but to mm. agree it. The courts are not going to get involved this year. Um, and so when we're looking forward to future years, I think the advice would be you need to be having these discussions much earlier than when you mm. start with the, than when the festive period kind of begins. Um, they are conversations that need to be had right at the beginning of the year, really, so that you've got time to try out these different options and make an application to court if an agreement can't be reached. Yeah. Have you tried arbitration for any of these cases? I haven't, but that's something you could do. Absolutely. Um, so arbitration is effectively private court proceedings. So you are hiring someone as a judge, you you know, normally a barrister or a senior solicitor, and you can make your representations to them and they can provide a binding um binding judgment so um that that is that is definitely an option that you could go ahead with if that's not something that's available to you i think thinking ahead is the really sensible thing if you're listening to this thinking well great matt and lisa say let's try and communicate it and sort it about but i've tried that and my ex just won't budge and is saying that he or she is having the kids for the whole christmas end of story well maybe you have to take this one on the chin this year but start planning ahead next year and as I said before, the general patterns, it reverses each year. So you say, well, fine, you know, you've got the kids this year, but next year they're mine for an equivalent period of time. And that is an entirely reasonable stance to take. And if you end up in court, the chances are, subject to all the other, you know, usual concerns and checks and things, the chances are that the judges can say, well, why is that not fair? Um, so I think that's a really sensible approach. But yeah, arbitration is something that you could look at a fairly short notice. Um, and that's something you could do with just on papers. You know, it's such a, spe a specific issue is that, you know, you could get a barrister to have a look at a three-page position statement prepared by one party, a three-page position statement from another party and give a determination on that basis when there are no other welfare concerns, couldn't you? It should be fairly straightforward. Mm. So we said this was a specific issue order. What other types of circumstances would these types of orders be applied for in? Yeah, so so specific issue orders, so SIOs, which I'm going to call them so I don't stumble over my words all the time um it it's a bit exactly what it says in the tin so you're looking at these dis bespoke discrete specific issues the common ones are around things like the special days so christmas is a common one but other common issues are if there's a dispute about what school your child's going to attend if you've got an issue about medical treatment it can be used in international in relocation cases but i think more properly they're kind of pleaded as part of a child arrangements order as well um, but they're the really common ones. So school can be a really common one. And obviously we're looking at, you know, coming up, you know, November, December, when, when this is, is being put out, um, January time is going to be time for school decisions for primary schools. Obviously you've got to be looking ahead for sort of secondary school applications and, uh, and things as you come to later in the year, um, for the following year. So that's a really common application, I think. Um, so what's, you know, what's your approach to those, Lisa? If you get a client come to you and say, we just can't agree on the school. I think school X, my ex thinks school Y. How do you address those? Well, it's exactly the same, really, as what we just spoke about with contact with um, Christmas. So we're looking at communicating, you know, and, and listening, like active listening. What are their concerns? Have you visited both of the schools? What are the concerns? What are the practicalities? You know, is the school closer to one parent? How much time do the children spend with that parent? So I think it is a case of having that communication, but also actively listening to the to the other parties' views, opinions, and concerns, rather than just 
discounting them off the bat because that's not the school that you initially thought you'd like the children to go to if if you do all of that and you research it all and you are still at loggerheads and you cannot reach an agreement then again mediation is a perfect opportunity to be having these discussions and if mediation doesn't work then again you can try arbitration or ultimately court proceedings but I think again with court proceedings the difficulty that we have is that by the time you start to have these conversations and you know I have a child that will be going up to secondary school next year the letters came through on the first day that they went back to year six um, to say, you know, this is your catchment school. You need to be looking at it. The um, open days are in the next six weeks and then you have to make a decision by the end of October. So the window is really, really tight, which means actually the likelihood of you getting a court to determine which school the child should go to in that kind of eight week period is slim to none. Um, so again, you know, as you said, with arbitration, it may be that it's it's something that you could get b- before an arbitrator relatively quickly. But I think you te- you tend to know in advance whether these are issues that are going to cause difficulties, because often they would have fed into conversations, perhaps throughout the relationship or since separation. So it is all about flagging up any issues that you've got and trying to have those conversations as early as possible so that you're not leaving it to the last minute and reducing your options as to how to resolve them. Yeah, and I think um, when I've had clients with issues around schools, the most common, aside from where you are looking at a completely different geographical area, which is really a different case, if you are looking at your priority list of schools in a given defined geographical area that works for both, you know, both houses the kids are at, I find that it tends to be a clash of priorities. So one parent may say, I like this school because it's offset outstanding and these are only offset good. So therefore, that should be the determining factor. Whereas the other parent might say, well, actually, their friends are going to the other school or it's a smaller class size or, you know, it's got better arts provision if they're arty or sports provision if they're sporty, whatever it is. Um, and that's not to say that either approach is right or wrong. Um, I think that the court was going to look at things more holistically. Um, the court is not going to... What the court can't do is say that we're always going to go for an outstanding school because the logical extension of that is that no one should ever go to a school that's anything less than Ofsted outstanding and that's just not possible. So the court will factor that in and of course the standard of education is incredibly important um, but that is not necessarily the determining factor but that's going to weigh in. So, So both parties need to understand that there are valid arguments on both sides I think there and understanding your priorities and sometimes priorities clash and, and it can often be you know an, a parenting style clash uh, but trying to feed those both in and again put yourself through the eyes of the child which which school is going to be best for your particular child the other factor that can make things a bit difficult is obviously there are some schools who are better if the child's got special educational needs and that's a slightly different factor and then then in my sort of experience you might disagree i think those factors will slightly take precedence um, because it goes to a wider range of the what the court's got to look at, which is the welfare checklist, which includes educational needs, but also includes health needs, also includes the wishes and feelings of the child. So you've got to look at all the factors in the round. So when I have had clients who've said to me, well, this is the better school, they should go there. It's not necessarily as cut and dry, does that? No, it's not. And it's really interesting that you went to the welfare checklist then and the wishes and feelings of the child, because often, you know, particularly if we're looking at secondary school children, you know, they're at that age 10 11 cusp they're going to have opinions 
Um, and it may be that you want to canvas those in a safe environment as well so that those can feed into your, your decision making or, or into the decision making process. And you might want to consider something like child inclusive mediation, yeah, absolutely. where the, the wishes and feelings of the child can be canvassed really safely by somebody who's independent. Just because the child wants something doesn't mean that that's what the parents have to do or indeed that's what the court will do. But it may be that that really helps to focus the parents discussion as well. Yeah, and child inclusive mediation, just to kind of as a quick explainer for anyone who's not familiar with that, when I mention it to clients, people say, well, hang on, my kids shouldn't have to choose in the room between mum and dad as to what they want. It's not how it works. The mediator, a properly qualified child inclusive mediator will speak to the child separately. And the child will say, I want you to say this, I don't want you to say that. So the mediator can keep certain confidences. So it can be a really good way for a child to get across views in a way that you know, is not going to, because they won't want to upset mum and dad. Kids will, with the best one in the world, they often say things that each parent wants to hear, not in any negative way, not because they're lying, but because they want to be nice to their mum and their dad and they want to, you know, keep everyone happy. Um, this allows a way to kind of filter through that, I think. Yeah. So just a, a final point, and it's similar sort of ways of resolving these matters, but the other thing that comes up with specific issue orders is, is sometimes holidays and being able to take a, a child abroad. Is there any kind of, particular extra factors need to be considered there least compared to the sort of the, the other things that we've talked about already I think you just have to be really reasonable when it comes to holidays if if the other parent is having overnight contact with the children um, and they want to take the children on a family holiday during school holidays to Spain for example if you can't reach an agreement and you end up making an application to court, the judge is more than likely to allow the children to go on a holiday because, as we say, it's child focused. It's what's in the best interest of the children. The children will really enjoy the holiday. Obviously, it's slightly different depending on location. If you're looking to go somewhere that's slightly more dangerous mm -hmm. um, and particularly, for example, you know, we've got the war in Ukraine. If you suddenly decided that you wanted to go on holiday for whatever reason to Ukraine, maybe you've got family over there. Um, you you know it may be slightly easier to convince a judge that that wouldn't be in the children's best interests but predominantly with holidays provided you've got a pattern of, of contact or arrangements where you're having regular overnight contact a holiday there's usually no issue with holidays and to be seen to, you've got to be really careful about withholding consent in those circumstances where you can seem to be a bit unreasonable yeah yeah I think so um the only there, there can be, and what you said about the existing contact patterns feeding into it is really key. If someone has only ever had one or two nights overnight and that's a fairly recent arrangement, suddenly having a two-week holiday is going to be too much. Having a week holiday may well be too much. So in that case, you'd advise clients to start, well, let's just you know do three or four nights. Let's start. Let's do It's, it's a gradual build-up. Um, but if they've had half the school holidays before, there's no reason why it shouldn't be a full week. For anyone who's trying to negotiate that, you know, be, be reasonable, say to, say to the parent who's maybe got some reticence, because a lot of it can stem from fear. And don't forget the emotional path of this is that, you know, you've had family holidays before, maybe, and suddenly it's a big thing for your ex that you, the kids are going away without you. So what can you do to kind of, I guess, um, mitigate the concerns? Some really simple things, provide flight numbers, flight times, send a text when you land, here's where we're staying arranged through FaceTime two or three times. It doesn't have to be all the time. I don't think every day is appropriate, but maybe twice during the holiday, you know, so that the kids can report back to mum or dad and say, oh, we've done all this great stuff. It's brilliant. They can stay involved. And that sort of stuff and being open to that um, is, is something that can be really reassuring, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that covers everything for our 
festive special and holidays and all sorts of things specific issue order related. So um, Merry Christmas, which feels very odd saying that <laughs> in September. And I hope you all manage to have a, uh, a Christmas that works for you and your new family. And it may be a completely different Christmas, but it can be a good one and it can be a better one than it's been before. So all the best for the festive season. Yeah, absolutely. Happy Christmas. And if you'd like any more information on our podcasts, head over to stotalks.co.uk. And please don't forget to rate, like, share and review where you can. <laughs>